name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today's Gospel obviously is, is a famous one, the story of the Samaritan woman. And just like in real life, every, um, every story has, a, has at least two versions. So the Samaritans, in the eyes of the Jews, um, were among the most loathsome people. The, the way that the Jews depict the Samaritans is that um, when the Jews were taken captive into Babylon, there was the northern kingdom was taken first. They were, the, the northern kingdom was first defeated and Judah, the southern kingdom, was de- defeated second. And so when they were taken away captive, the Babylonians left a remnant in the, in the motherland and they themselves also occupied the city. And so, inevitably, there was intermarriage between the Jews that were there and the Babylonians, and they started to mix um, the cultures. And so, they ended up having, which, which to the Jews, obviously, this made you completely unclean, that you were associating with, with Gentiles and with pagans. Um, and so, when they returned from exile, they desired there to be only one kingdom, again, just like at the time of King, King Saul and King David, um, with only one temple, the people of Samaria, which was the capital of Israel, um, were resistant to this. And so there became a division. And actually, the Samaritans, they, they exist until this day. There's, there's about 10,000 of them or so. But they, they're, as a group, they still exist. That's the, the Jewish version of, of the story. The Samaritans have their own history, though. They look at it in a completely different way. Um, and to them, they viewed Moses as the common father of all. But the period of the judges, which the, the Jews call the judges and we call the judges, they referred to them as the beginning of the kings. And before the establishment of a temple, there is biblical references to praying on Mount Gerizim. Um, and so to them, this was the beginning of the establishment of, of, of the northern kingdom as the true people of God. And to them, this started to go wrong with the judge who they view as a king, Samson, and that because of his defilement with um, the Philistines, that this brought God's anger upon them. And that because of this, he swallowed up the original temple, the the real temple in their view, that was on Mount Gerizim, um, as a punishment for them. And so they view their lineage as coming down from Samson and from, from, from Moses. And they view, for example, Eli that we read about in, in, in the book of, of Judges um, as being a false high priest and consequently all the priests of Judea being false priests and that the other priest is the true one from which they have their lineage. So it's interesting to see that each side has its own version. The end result is that the Samaritans were waiting for Messiah too. Um, and the Samaritans, like the Jews who were waiting for a Messiah to come and restore a political kingdom, so were the Samaritans. The Samaritans were waiting for a king to come to rebuild their real temple, in their view, on Mount, on Mount Gerizim. And so the end result, as always happens when there's this much of a contentious history, is that they absolutely despised and hated one another. And so the hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews was completely mutual. Um, 
And so, for example, even though our Lord this time, they're, they're very nice to him in Samaria. Um, on other occasions, if you, if you read the four Gospels, they don't even allow the Lord to go through. Um, they actually prevent him from going through because he's a Jew. Um, so the hostilities are, are, are mutual and each way. And it's in this setting that it makes it even more interesting that our Lord says that I, I have to go through Samaria because he didn't have to at all. There was no physical demand for his need to go through Samaria. And so our Lord's expression of the statement is saying that actually there's a spiritual work that I, that I must do. And, and if you can think of this almost in a modern context, it's almost like um, our Lord coming today and we expect him to be with us in the churches and him going, for example, to a Protestant church um, or going to a Seventh-day Adventist church where we would be like, why does he need to go there? Um, like, we, we're, we're the right church. So what, what's he doing going, going over there? And as a matter of fact, as we're going to see in the dialogue, our Lord doesn't deny that the Jews are right. He ends up making a statement to that effect. But that he still is not just interested in, 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 in the club that calls themselves his own. He's interested in the salvation of everyone. And so it's not a coincidence, I'm mostly using origin of, of Alexandria for this, um, the great master and scholar, but it's not a coincidence that he's coming to this well, because this is the well of their father Jacob, right? This is the beginning of the tribe, so this is the source for all of them. This is the source for the Jews and it's the source for the Samaritans. And as a matter of fact, it is probably at this very well that our father Isaac ended up getting betrothed when there was um, first a servant sent ahead to go by the well and, and he meets Isaac's wife. And it's also there where Jacob himself meets his wife. And so it's, it's not accidental. The Lord is intentionally going to place of saying this is where it began, this is your, your roots, this is your beginnings. Let's meet there. Let's meet at the common point of reference. And he sits by the well and he asks her, he asks the Samaritan woman there for a drink. And as we know, it's, it's noon, and as you've heard, I'm sure, many, many times, she, she's here because she's a social outcast, right? The, those of you who have come from hot countries, I think everyone here, background, comes from a hot country. Noon isn't a time where you go out. Um, that's why they take the, the siestas in the afternoon, and they come back from work, and they don't go out until the sun sets, until they can handle it, and then they... They go out unless there's imperative need. So you're definitely not going to go into an extremely hot place and do laborious work. Um, and so that she's doing this is because she's 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 living a, a life that's even rejected by the Samaritans, right? She's had five husbands, as we find out, and she's now common law um, with with another person. And our Lord asks her to give to give him to drink because the disciples were gone. And the Samaritan woman clearly, this shows how much contempt there was because despite her history, she has no shame in talking to Christ, a Jew, right? And, and, and boldly, right? She doesn't, she's not speaking to him meekly. She's not being disrespectful, but she's being very bold. She says, who do you think you are? You're a Jew. So why do you think you can ask me? Um, to give you water? Why is it that you think that I would even do something like that? And on top of that is that 
the Jewish customs don't allow for the Samaritans, um, they don't allow for the Jews to touch the stuff of the Samaritans. And so if they touch the water pot, he's now ritually unclean. Right? If the Lord even touches the water pot, these were some of the rules that, that the Jews had put. Then now he needs to be purified, he can't present himself even in the temple. This was how seriously they took it. And so that's why she's saying, you, even as a Jew, forget me, you're a Jew, you have no dealings with us. Um, and Jesus is not taken aback, our Lord is not taken aback at all by this. He says, if you know what it is that I could give you, um, and who it is that's asking you, um, you actually would have asked me. Right? You would actually ask me for the water. Um, and this is so characteristic of the Gospel of John, is that our Lord is always speaking in, in riddles, and nobody gets him. This is why... As we see in Gethsemane, the disciples actually, after his long prayer, they're like, you're finally speaking clearly. Because they never, they never understand him. We, we read with Nicodemus. Um, Nicodemus said, I, I don't get it. Um, he was like, no, you have to be born again. He's like, I just, I don't get it. Tell me, how do I be born again? So our Lord is, he throws things and, and enters into dialogues so that a person can arrive at truth. And so she doesn't get it. And she actually, the King James says, sir, Thou hast nothing to draw with. The Greek, the Septuagint, doesn't say sir. It says Kyrie. It says Lord. Okay? And Origen comments on this because she sees something in him, and he speaks about how every part of the dialogue, she comes closer to recognizing who he is, but never quite gets there until he reveals. So at this point, he's just, he's just a Jew. Lord, you have nothing to draw with, so how, how exactly is it that you plan to, to pull out this, this water? Um, and, and do you think that you're greater than, than Jacob? Um, again, everybody, whether they were Jew or Samaritan, their boast is in their past, right? Which is something we, we do often today. It's not wrong to be proud of your heritage, right? But that, that, but that became the reference point. It's like us saying, we're, we're the sons of Cyril. Well, we are. But that, that means nothing if you have no clue what Cyril even said or believed or his relationship with God. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I will give will never thirst. But the water that I will give him shall be in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. And the woman says unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Origen points out that this is the most important step in the life of a believer, is this request is that God never actually works with somebody who's not seeking it. And so the initiation of the real dialogue begins here, when the woman actually says to him, I, I want it. Right? She, she's actually taken a leap of faith, and she doesn't really know who Christ is yet. It's not like she has a, a full comprehension, but she sees that something is there, and so her reaction, her response is to say, I, I want from this. Because it is that, that, initiate, that initiatory request that leads to the conversation with God. And it's that conversation with God that is going to eventually lead to the thing, to the, to the truth, the thing that she's looking for. And when she hears the comparison between these two kinds of water, what Origen says actually is, this is the superficial level of, of the heterodox. You know, sometimes people outside of the faith, they use scriptures wrong. Um, because they just want it for debate. Um, so they'll take scripture and they'll just they'll talk to you from it, but they don't live it, they don't know it. Um, and this is, this is what Origen sees it as, which is important. We're going to come back to this in, in momentarily. 
Um, but those that deal with food and drink just as food and drink, this is the way that the, the heterodoxy of the scripture, they don't find life from it, right? It doesn't become sustenance. They're going to eat it and they're going to get hungry again. They're going to be thirsty again. It's not, it's not going to fill them up. And I don't think that's only the heterodox today. I think that's, that's those within too. When we don't view scripture as life-giving, when we don't view it as actually the word of God, then it's the same for us, right? Then we're going to end up just being like, that's nice, it's a nice story, but I, I, it's not enough for me. And the living water, obviously, is going to be the, the water of, of, of Christ. And a person who drinks the water of Christ is the one who's going to be able to be fulfilled. And Origen says, you know, there's these sophists in the church, those who just they care about knowledge and, and, and earthly wisdom, who they, they might be the ones respected in, in, in the churches or in the communities, but they don't really know God. He's like, in the sense that they... They have doctrinal discussions that lead to more doctrinal questions that lead to more and more questions, and they don't they come they don't come to an end, right? And so he's saying this kind of water that God gives it can't be like that, right? It can't be of that kind. So he's pointing at the people from without and the people from within, um, and where it's going. But the receiving of the water, because she doesn't get it yet, is going to be contingent upon this beginning of recognition of who Christ is. It's not going to be starting from, from, the, from the insides. And he says that this water of the well of Jacob, which again, I mean, it's not a coincidence well of Jacob, is scripture. It's scripture itself, which is not something that most of us would have thought would have been the, the analogy here. But he's saying this, this dead water, because we don't usually consider scripture dead water, this dead water is scripture. He's saying because it's, you need it. You have to start there. If you don't drink this water, you physically die. right? So you have to have that. But it isn't the water that grows. And he doesn't yet tell her so what's going on. So he says, go get your husband and come back. And the woman says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and he who you now have is not your husband. In this you spoke the truth. right? So our Lord is kind of dropping truth bombs um, on this woman. <laughs> Right? And being like, you have no idea who I am. Um, because this obviously takes her back completely, where it's like, whoa, how does he know this? This this is not the same person that I thought just literally two sentences ago. Right? And and she responds to him saying, Lord, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Um, which is a, a bit of a comical response, where it's like, I get the feeling you might be a prophet. Um, because you know things that you shouldn't know. Um, but now she's, she's bringing in her own heritage. She's starting at the water of the well. She's starting at the water of the scripture. right? So her response to him is, but Lord, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. right? Scriptures say that Gerizim was the first place of worship before there was even a temple of Jerusalem. So on what basis, who do you think you are then, to tell us that, that it has to be Jerusalem. And our Lord's response, which is not much more elucidating, um, says, believe me, there's a time coming when you're not going to worship in this mountain, in Gerizim, or in Jerusalem. Neither one of them. right? Which is, again, completely counter everything of, of both religions. Um, you, you don't even know what you're worshipping, he says to her. You don't know. You have no clue what you are worshipping. 
for salvation is of the Jews. That's what I'm saying. He spoke the truth again. Right? He spoke the truth in saying to her that you have you have five husbands. And now he's also saying to her, but the Jews are right. Not because I condone them, I'm the one coming to you. But there there is such thing as truth. Because we sometimes have this this sense of, of we're all right and we're all saying the same thing. We're, we're not. Often we're not at all. Okay? If, if we are, it would be way easier. There wouldn't be a conflict. But when there's a conflict, it's because we're not saying the same thing. And our Lord makes it clear to her, but gently, no, the, 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 the people of God, the people of the promise, it is the Jews. Right? This is the starting point. But what's coming now is that real worshippers are those who will worship the Father in spirit and in truth because God himself is spirit, right? God is not flesh and blood. God is not, God is not material. And so he starts to reveal to her these truths. And it's, it's beautiful to see that the, the conversation that our Lord is engaging with this woman on is probably not what many would have thought would have been the reaction to a really holy person sitting with a harlot. Right? Can you imagine, like, like not to be vulgar, but can you imagine a, a monk who has lived as a hermit for 30 years going and, and sitting with a prostitute on the corner of a street downtown? And that their conversation isn't about her lifestyle. The conversation is about who Jesus is, about who God is. This is, this is what's going on, because we sometimes forget the context. This is scandalous. Right? Because not only is she a Samaritan, she's a woman. And she's not any woman. She's a woman who sleeps around. Right? She's a social outcast. And this is who our Lord says, I need to go meet this woman. Right? This is, this is, is what he's, he's said about her. This is the dialogue that's ensuing. It's not what we expected. And it's something we ought to reflect on in our Christian life and how we treat other people. And Origen says it's not a coincidence that Gerizim, the mountain that, that she wants to worship on, is called Gerizim, because Gerizim means division. Okay, and so division is exactly what's going on on a spiritual level and on a, on a literal level, right? On a spiritual level, because the people of God have been separated, right? And on a physical level, um, because of the history, that, that this was, that whole area became what it became simply because the, there was a civil war. <laughs> Right in the in, in the kingdom, and that's why it happened. It was a division, and so God is coming to solve this division. God is coming to remove Gerizim. He's coming to remove um, the obstacles to unity. And the woman says again from Scripture, from the dead water, I know that the Messiah comes, which is called Christ. Like I've I've read this. I know this. There's somebody who's coming. We agree on that, and that he is going to tell us everything. And this is where, unfortunately, English scripture can't capture the Lord's response to her. Because the Lord's response to her is not, I am he. The Lord's response to her is, the one who's speaking to you is, I am. It is a much, much more powerful statement because it is tantamount to blasphemy. Because what he actually said to her is the name of God. What he said to her is, the one who is sitting with you is God. The person that you are interacting with. This is why when many people accuse the, the gospel, saying even the gospels don't say that Jesus is God, actually they do explicitly in many places. But he's saying to the one who is with you is I am. 
The person that you're interacting with is the I am. And throughout the Gospel of John, it is the most place where he uses this. It is in the other Gospels a little, but it mostly in this Gospel. Because at this point is when he's constantly telling the people, when you interact with me, you are interacting with the Father. Anybody who has seen me has seen the Father. Why? Because I am in the bosom of my Father. I am always in the bosom of my Father. There is never a time when I am not with the Father. And this is why he speaks of descending, ascending and descending. right? And he's drawing an imagery even there when he says, you will see the angels ascending descending on him because this is Jacob upon whom the angels were ascending and descending. And he's saying, I'm greater than your father, Jacob. I am the one, I am the rock on which they're ascending and descending. Because anybody who is familiar with scripture would know the rock is God. right? And so he's drawing constant allusions to tell them who they are. And this is the turning point for the woman. Because what Origen says about the husbands is twofold. The concept of the husband here is this sense of betrothal to um, the old. Okay, it's the thing that's old. But the having five husbands, um, this is having the five senses. And so the person who is betrothed to the old lives sensually. Okay, the person who's caught up in, 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 in the system is somebody who just lives according to the flesh. And that's necessary to live at a point. Right, so he didn't say, and you're all evil and you're disgusting. And, and he says, this is important, but... There has to come a time where you realize this is not enough. And when you realize that this is not enough, this is when it's going to be your spiritual sight begins to be seen. The whole Gospel of John is about whether you really see or not. And our Lord talks about this. right? And this is what we pray in the litany of the Gospel every single liturgy. We say, blessed are your eyes for they see, and your ears for they hear, because it's a different kind of sight. He's saying that once you are able to see in a spiritual way, you are going to leave your five husbands. You're going to divorce them. And you're going to marry the bridegroom, the true bridegroom, which is, which is Christ. Because God is a spirit. So if you don't see him spiritually, you, don't see, you can't see him through the senses. It is illogical by the senses to do it. And, and, and if you don't have the eyes of the spirit, then you won't have it. And this is why it has to be initiated with, what, with your request to see. Because if you don't see it, it's, just, it's never going to make sense to you. This is why so many people, the Lord speaks... And they're just like, we, 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 they, just, they never get it. They never get it. And there are those that, that do. And our Lord throughout the Gospel of John is constantly saying, do you really get it? In fact, the disciples make a statement when they say, as we'll read on, on, on the eve of Great Friday in a few weeks, um, they're like, now you're speaking plainly, now we get it. And our Lord's response to them is, really? Do, do you really get it? Because you don't. right? You, you actually still don't get it. But you're, you are going to, but you don't yet. Right? You're going to see it when you receive the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive it and you'll have the fullness of it. But right now what you have is, is the promise um, of it. And so the Son will only reveal the Father to those who ask, and it is only the Son who can reveal the Father. And so it is only a person who is born again of Spirit who can see spiritually. And so when we reduce spirituality today to practices actually you're not spiritual. And if you think that this is the, the way of spirituality, it's not. And Origen actually says this emphatically. And it's very surprising because Origen ends up a priest, right? But he says, no, ritual has nothing to do with God. It has nothing to do with God. It can point at things, but it is not itself spiritual. It is sensual. 
and therefore it is incomplete. The mysticality of the church is the core. It is your ability to see spiritually that is the core. Because God himself is a spirit. And spirit not being a body, not this thing that floats around. No. But the spirit, he says throughout scripture, is what gives life. It's the thing that brings life to a thing. And God as spirit is, is what constantly brings life. And he can bring life to the he can bring life and he can bring light to the eyes of the mind or the or the soul to those who ask and those who are living are willing to live spiritually. And he says, so what does it mean even um, to live spiritually? He says, these are people who are already in the presence of God and that these are people who are actually struggling to live according to the scripture. And he says that they can be somebody who is struggling and failing, no problem, and he acknowledges this. And it can be somebody who actually has already attained victory over the passions. But it cannot include somebody who does not confess the Father as God. And it cannot include somebody who lives according to the flesh. If your life is about gratification of the senses, then according to Origen, you are not worshipping God at all. And you will also not have the knowledge of God. Because God cannot reveal himself to such. Because the two, the two will contradict each other completely. But it is the worship of, of the worshippers in spirit and truth that are in the very presence of God um, at all times. And so now we return back to the Samaritan woman, as we said, who has has this earnest promise of this of of of, of scripture that she's waiting for, that has now received from God his his name. In a way, our Lord has actually elevated her to the status of Moses. Because Moses was the only other person in history who God spoke to himself out of the bush and revealed his name so that he would return to the people and tell them who is God. And this is what ends up becoming the work of the Samaritan woman. She becomes an apostle. She becomes sent. Her immediate work is that she runs to the people. And what we see is that she has received liberation from her past. Right? And, and Origen says she actually not only receives liberation, she forgets, she forgets the water pot. She forgets the water pot, which is the, the Old Testament, is the scripture. He said it was the key, it was necessary. But she forgets it. She leaves it because she's now in the earnest of the Spirit. She is now in the presence of the New Covenant. She's in the presence of the I Am. And she reveals to the people, this is who God is. Behold, come and see. Right? She can't even, she can't even articulate to them other than her experience, which is exactly how the Jews were in the Old Testament. They couldn't say what God is or, or isn't, so they would say the God who, and say something he did. Right out of their experience, and so for the Samaritan woman, she's it is the I am who knows everything, right? It is the I am who told me all that there is to know about me, and now she is she is fearless, and because of this, it converts the people with like who is this new bold person, right? Who is this person who 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 is is shameful, right? That that's completely to be despised, who's excited to tell us come see. And now the witness of the smallest of the people, right? The prostitute downtown has become the, the apostle 
to the whole village, right? And it is because of this, because of her encounter with God, that she brings the whole town, where it says first they believe because of her word, and then, and then they too meet at the well. They actually, he doesn't go into the city, he waits for them. He waits for them at the well and says, this is, this is the encountering point. You, you're going to encounter me through scripture. So come here, meet me here, so that you can be elevated from it. May God grant all of us to become true ambassadors, to become true proclaimers of faith. May we rise above the sensual, because the repentance comes not from your labor, not from your matanyas, not from your fasting. These are necessary. And Origen says these are things that a righteous person will still do, right? And that's why even St. Paul the Apostle, who was above the law, still circumcised Timothy, because there was a need. But a person who lives only in the flesh will never come to know God. But the one who comes to know God is the one who lives by the Spirit, who liberates and sets free and reveals the Father to us, to Him be glory and honor now and always in the age of ages. Our Father who art in heaven,